Welcome to Car Wash M&A, the podcast, brought to you by Amplify Car Wash Advisors, the number one advisors of car wash chains nationwide on mergers and acquisitions in capital advisory services. Hi, I'm Lenise Barnett, Vice President of Business Development at Amplify Car Wash Advisors, and your host of Car Wash M&A, the podcast. Here, we'll take a deep dive into the current mergers and acquisitions activity of the car wash industry with the goal of keeping car wash owners informed on where the market is today and where it's going tomorrow so that you can make informed decisions about your business. We'll help you answer the question, should I sell my car wash now or should I enter growth mode and really scale my operation? Each month, I'll speak with industry experts who will share practical advice on how to sell or scale your car wash. While the industry is undoubtedly changing, what remains constant is the need for solid information so you can evaluate where you are and chart the course for the future of your business. Thank you all for joining us on episode two of Car Wash MA, the podcast. I'm here today with Chris Jinks. He is the Chief Operating Officer of Amplify Car Wash Advisors. And a little bit of background on Chris. He is a chartered financial analyst. He has 16 years of institutional management. He's held positions as an investment strategist, director of investment research, and before being called upon by the car wash industry, was part of an investment team that was responsible for $16 billion of global assets under management. So, Chris, it's fair to say that you have some experience in both the investment world and then also we forgot to mention your car wash side of it, that you are also an owner of a, a car wash chain as well. So you you've gotten your hands dirty and you can you can have some street cred with that as well. That is correct. Yes. I think car washing is certainly more exciting, but certainly love being able to bridge the gap between financial markets and what it means for car washers. Great. And that's exactly what we're here to talk about today is we want to take some time to dive into what's going on globally and what that means for the car wash industry specifically. At the time of this recording, we're in mid-March and we're seeing so many things that are changing and that's really caused us to pivot what our strategy or what our plan was for recording these episodes and kind of take this pause to cover some of the economic impacts of global price changes and, and fuel prices and what's going on in Ukraine and, and how that could potentially impact us and how that is impacting us. As we get started, if you could just kind of give us an overview of what your opinion is on where we are as the U.S. economy on a macro level and what current changes have affected us as, as the United States. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, certainly a dynamic environment here as we really dissect the macro environment. And, you know, definitely want to start with the positives first. You know, at the end of the day, the U.S. continues to recover from the negative economic effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thankfully. Thankfully, yes. You know, if we're to look at fourth quarter gross domestic product in the fourth quarter alone, GDP jumped about 7%. Unemployment levels as of the February read came in at about 3.8%. So not too far away from pre-pandemic levels, which were about 3.5%. 
So overall, you know, very strong footing. We continue to see a robust recovery in the economy following COVID-19. That being said, you know, we're starting to see economists revise their forward-looking outlook for the U.S. economy downward. So tapered to some extent, most economists are coming in somewhere in the ballpark between 2 to 3% full-year GDP growth for the calendar year 2022. And a large reason for that, as you alluded to, Lenise, was, you know, inflation. It is no surprise uh, inflation is a huge headline in today's world and a big risk to the economy. We're to look at the most recent CPI measurement, uh, which came out towards the end of February. Inflation over the 12-month period went up about 7.9%, and that actually represents the largest reading in over 40 years. You have to go back to July of 1981. Yeah, so so a big jump there. You know, this is largely driven by an increased energy prices. Uh, energy as a category is up about 25% year over year. And if we're to really drill down into with the energy bucket, to no surprise, it's fuel and gasoline. Fuel prices are up more than 40% year over year. But even beyond energy and fuel, you know, everywhere we look, it's beyond the gas pump. Things are more expensive. Clothing is up 6%. Food is up 8%. New automobiles are up 12%. So again, by and large, the big theme as of late is, in fact, inflation. And that's certainly tapering expectations for the continuation of the economic recovery here. Fuel was already on the rise prior to this invasion of Ukraine, which is is impacting the global oil supply. And then what we see at the pump that is causing that to go up. So it was already ticking up, but now we've seen this further tick, which makes it feel so much more tangible and it's so much more noticeable that that's, that's making a big impact. And so I think some folks might think, well, I mean, we can produce our own oil. We, we don't even get that much from Russia. So why, why is it having such an impact here and what we're seeing at, you know, at our local station? So what is that? Why do we have that impact? Yeah, really good question. So the CPI numbers that I just recited here. Okay, Chris. So you referenced CPI. Could you just give us a quick explanation of what that means? Absolutely. So um, CPI stands for the Consumer Price Index, and this is something that's provided by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And essentially what this does is it measures the, the, the change in price that consumers pay for a basket of goods and services. Um, so it's just a way to, to make you know, the measurement of, of inflation a little bit more tangible and transparent. So like, okay, uh, eggs cost this much different and clothes or whatever. Housing, automobiles, you know, Food, beverage, and tobacco—you name it. Correct. It, it's just a—it's a—it's a composite measurement of uh, the the aggregate cost and changing cost for a basket of goods. This index does it change often? Is this like an always a variable, or are there bigger ticks? There are monthly readings in this index. You know, two things to look at would be the month over month change, but the most common you know measurement would just be the change year after year. And in this case, um, again, you know, CPI increased by seven point nine percent as of February, which represents the largest twelve month increase since uh, nineteen eighty one. Okay, thank you for diving into that a little bit deeper, so we can know what to look for. Yep. So the inflation numbers that I just recited were through the end of February. So that, of course, does not account for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Why is this important? Well, uh, Lenise, as you said, Russia is a significant producer of global oil. In fact, they produce roughly 10% of the global oil supply. So as we look at what happened to crude oil prices since the invasion, they skyrocketed. Uh, We saw oil prices top about $120 a barrel before the invasion were in the low 90s. Uh, now, this has moderated to some extent. Today, you know, we're looking about $100 a barrel, but nonetheless, a 10% increase in oil prices since the invasion. So you know, as we talk about inflation through February, 
I certainly expect that those numbers are may look even worse as we get the March read in, in, in CPI and in inflation here, uh, because it does not account for that crunch in supply given the invasion and sanctions on the use of Russian oil. Now, you ask the question, why does that matter? Russian oil accounts for about 10% of the global supply. Uh, so you really need to think about it from a global context, right? If we look at it from the U.S. microcosm, yes, the U.S. only gets about 3% of our, our oil from, from Russia. That being said, globally, it's a much bigger deal. If we're to use Europe, for example, uh, our European counterparts receive about 60% of their oil from Russia. So if they cut off using Russian oil, that 60% is going to have to be backfilled from elsewhere. So you can imagine from a global context that this is pretty disruptive. Again, you know, we saw a surge in oil prices. Fortunately, over the last couple of weeks, we've had other countries uh, within OPEC, notably the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, commit their excess capacity to, to, to increasing production. So hopefully that softens some of the blow. But oil prices are definitely higher. We're seeing it at the gas pump today. And by the time this podcast gets recorded, we'll see where oil prices are. They're pretty dynamic right now. Right. This is a very fluid situation. And especially coming out of what seems like it's been forever that we've been going through COVID and then emerging out of it. And then there's a, you know, there's a ray of sunshine and then there's something new that's another global impact. There's some positives from that, which we'll kind of get into later, but some of those things are kind of being able to pivot more quickly and the agility of businesses to react and to re-strategize based on new factors that come up that are outside of their control. That is one thing that we've been forced to learn and exercise that in the last couple of years. You have to be nimble. Yes. So inflation, what can be done to control inflation or what can we do strategy-wise as far as it's going to happen, it is happening, but what are some measures that can be done to to have an impact on that? Yeah. So, so the most effective tool to combating inflation is through monetary policy. So specifically, the Federal Reserve adjusting interest rates to, to, to cool down the economy and essentially combat inflation. You have to think about you know, what, what causes inflation at the end of the day. And it's usually excess in the money supply. So what do you do to control that? You reduce the money supply and supply of money that's out there in the system. The Federal Reserve, by adjusting the Fed target rate and bringing interest rates higher, that, that, that's certainly an effective way. And if you were to think about today's environment, what's causing an inflation, you know, it's really a mosaic of different things, right? You have a global supply chain issue, which is putting a bottleneck on the actual supply of goods. You have surging demand following a recovering economy from COVID-19. And you really have the effects of about $2 trillion in stimulus money really coming into play here. And I know, you know, stimulus from COVID, a couple of years removed from that, but you have to think, you know, there's a little bit of a lag there between you know, when that stimulus money is put to work and by the time that actually trickles down throughout the economy, you know, we're starting to see the effects of this. So here we are today, uh, inflationary environment. Um, as mentioned, you know, the one tool that could be used to combat this would be changes in monetary policy, specifically rising interest rates. And as of yesterday, the Federal Reserve actually increased their target rate by 0.25% for the first time since 2018. And that increase is projected to be a steady, continual increase for the foreseeable future, or at least throughout the rest of the year. Absolutely. The CME group actually has a really interesting tool that's available on the website. It's called the FedWatch tool. And essentially what they do is they look at the futures market to figure out, okay, what's being priced in here? And what they could do is they could put implied probabilities on the future of rate hikes. As of right now, as of yesterday's hike, what the markets are telling us 
is that there's about a 90% probability that interest rates will go up by at least another 1.5% throughout the calendar year of 2022. So you hit it right in the hat. I think, you know, this is just the start. I think if we were to look going forward and what markets are telling us today, there's a high probability that rate hikes will continue with each of the Federal Reserve meetings to come. In fact, if you look all the way through July of next year in 2023, there's a 100% probability of an increase in every meeting from here on out through the end of July of 2023. So certainly think that's in the cards for the future. Not that that's good or bad, but at least we haven't had the interest rates rise as of yet. So now we're in essence making up a little bit for years of stagnant interest rates, right? Yes. I mean, we have to keep in mind is that we're experiencing now, this is not the exception, right? Many years of accommodative policy following really the effects of the financial crisis back in 08, we never really were able to get back to the path of normalcy here. So you hit it right in the head. I think, you know, there's certainly some some shock uh, just based on increases in interest rates because we've been so accustomed over the last decade plus of, of, of low rates. It's important to keep in mind that that was the exception, right? We're now going back in the path of normalcy. It's crazy because with so many things in life, you get used to where you are right now and it's hard to see those cycles that do ebb and flow and they have this circle. But when you're in the space that you're in right now, it's, you think, okay, well, it's just going to stay this way forever when that's really not the case in most things in life. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked a little bit or about what inflation looks like and what rising interest rates look like for the US economy. But what does that mean for car wash owners specifically and what can they expect? And, and then what kind of tools do we have specifically related to them? The most direct impact here, obviously, is you know, with consumer behavior, right? How much is inflation going to spook the consumer? And, um, you know, if we were to look at the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, University of Michigan, they survey over 500 participants from different geographical regions in the United States. And they ask them the questions along the lines of their personal finances, as well as their outlook for the economy over the short and long-term periods. And what the most recent survey showed us is that consumer sentiment is at its lowest level since November of 2011, so shortly after the S&P downgrade of U.S. Treasuries. So all of the macro concerns that we've talked about between inflation, rising gas prices, the war in Ukraine, this is definitely weighing on the consumer. So the question now is, how discretionary is car washing, right? Over the last decade, we have seen consumers embrace the car wash model, specifically the express car wash model. By and large, consumers are using professional car washing services more now than ever. And the express model has become you know, a convenient solution for consumers where it's now ingrained in their daily activities, right? As you mentioned, Lenise, we have car wash operations here in Chicago, and we have some customers that are membership membership customers. I mean, they're, they're at our site daily. The question is now, are they going to stop car washing? Or will they maybe stop buying a $3 coffee at Starbucks? You know, the last litmus test was, you know, COVID and right. car washing was resilient during COVID. So I think, you know, we're learning in real time how discretionary is car washing. And I think, you know, good indication is what's Wall Street telling us? We now have some publicly traded companies out there, Mr. Car Wash, notably. And we've actually seen some positive revisions from sell side analysts on Wall Street stating that, you know, the concerns over inflation and fuel prices may be overdone and they've actually changed their ratings from a hold to a buy. So a lot of considerations to be thinking around here, but generally speaking, you know, definitely an impact on the consumer. And this is the time now to get strategic if you're an operator. But that news uh, that came out today about the confidence in specifically that one was about Mr. Carwash, but that's such good news. And it's such, it's, it's encouraging not to have all bad news and to see that just like we 
emerged through COVID and are still emerging through it, that there were a lot of silver linings to that with the exposure of the car wash industry as far as answering that question, how discretionary is it and how resilient is it? And we've been fortunate as an industry in many ways that we've been much more resilient than other sectors of business that were hit so much harder. And I think that, you know, hopefully as an industry, we can keep using that information and and how to best serve our customers to keep this momentum going. And if they have a, a demand and they have a desire for it, then we will meet it as best we can. And again, with this ability to shift strategies or, or pivot to accommodate for things that are outside of our control. Yeah, I think you hit in the head, right? This is not the time to be complacent. We do have some headwinds to consider here, especially as it's, you know, it's not just the consumer, right? If you're running a car wash today, you know, your margins have changed quite a bit because the cost structure is evolving. You know, you have input costs rising due to inflation. So, you know, a good example, if you were to look silicone prices, right? Silicone last October surged 300%. As we all know, in car washing, silicone is a very predominant ingredient in most, you know, tire shines and tire dressings. We have wage inflation, right? Wage inflation is up on average 5%. So if you're an operator, your cost structure has gone up quite a bit. You know, I think the knee-jerk reaction in a rising cost environment is you know, just passing it back to the consumer and increasing your prices. But as mentioned, the consumer is certainly feeling the pain here a little bit as well through inflation, everything being more expensive. So one thing we've heard or we've seen a lot of here lately is you know, car wash chains and operators increasing their prices to accommodate for their changing cost structures. You have to be a little more strategic in that, right? I think strategic price changes may make sense, but you have to really understand your local market is going to do that. Specifically, you know, know your level of competition. If you are in a highly competitive market with other alternatives for, for, for car wash tunnels, um, you know, you might find yourself in a game of chicken with the local competition. Also, have to consider your local demographic, right? If you are operating in areas where there's less discretionary income, a price chain may not be prudent in the current environment because, again, the consumer's feeling the pain as well with uh, inflation at about 8%. And it's not saying that you shouldn't consider price changes, but what we're suggesting is that you should really consider all of these factors before making a knee-jerk decision or reaction based on rising input costs and, and rising costs on the operator side. Because as you mentioned, you know, consumers, while we're seeing that car washing is less discretionary than other things, say going to buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks, it's still discretionary. Like it still falls into that category. And we have to be sensitive that these price increases in such a sensitive time in their in their world, in their pocketbook as well, that we don't want to drive them away <laughs> for that. But there are other things that car wash operators could consider changing or reevaluating within their own operations that could offset some of those rising costs. And that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you of what are some options for them to offset this? Great question. Yeah, there's a lot more than just increasing revenues by passing back price changes to your consumer. This is a good time in a in an inflationary environment, as I mentioned, one thing that usually accompanies inflation is rising interest rates. Now is a really good time to be looking at your debt for your company and specifically using this as an opportunity, potentially refinance some of your shorter term variable rate debt and lock in you know, longer term debt at a lower interest rate. Especially if we know that the interest rates are going to continue to rise. We see there's a there was a 100% probability of rates increasing over the next year, you know, or continually. So we know it's happening. <laughs> 
Absolutely. So, so again, now's a good time to understand kind of what does your debt look like? What does your cost of capital look like? And intentionally restructuring short-term variable rate debt to, to longer-term fixed rate at the current lower rates. That, that'd definitely be one thing you could do here. You know, other things to consider, you know, locking in long-term uh, arrangements with your vendors. You know, that's certainly something you could take advantage of today if you expect costs in general to continue to rise. Lock in long-term contracts with your vendors that could potentially keep you at a lower rate today for, for a longer period of time and, and, and remove kind of that exposure to what could be variable pricing in the future. Well, and I really like that suggestion because it's also relationship building with your vendors because you're also making a commitment to them that, hey, I know that you're going through the same thing that I am as a business owner and I am committing my business to you. And we're just going to make this agreement that this is the best way that could be a win-win for both of us. We all know the adage, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And this is one of those situations here where your vendor could lock in a long-term cash flow stream and you could lock in some sort of certainty in your price structure. Right. On the debt restructuring, that's something that that our company, that Amplify Carwash Advisors on our capital advisory side, that is a service that we provide and that we can help coach and guide people through how to do that and you know what steps to take and what your options are. Yeah, we, we have seen a significant increase in the demand for uh, you know, restructuring debt solutions via our capital advisory business. Absolutely. One other thing to consider here, too, is, is, is we're looking at potential tools for operators in this rising, rising cost environment. We have been fortunate that we've just seen a massive tech boom over the last five years. And this is something that really extends across all industries. But in car washing specifically, there's some very neat early stage innovative solutions utilizing technology. And generally speaking, you know, this is a great time to start looking at some of these newer technologies for the purposes of increasing your efficiencies, you know, protecting your margins, and essentially kind of reshaping the workflow and potentially reallocating some of that more human element in workflow and utilizing you know, newer forms of you know, technology, innovation, automation to potentially free up some of that labor expense and increase efficiencies in your operations. Absolutely. The the car wash industry is so amazing because there are so many different areas that are involved between chemistry and mechanics and electrical. But with that, I, th- I feel like there has been a slow growth in technology in certain areas, like the ability to sell online and e-commerce, how to manage monthly plans, how to send gift cards electronically or use an app. And it's really cool going to either the regional or national car wash shows. And as I walk around the floor, I see so many new companies that are offering different services to fill this gap that's been there because the challenge for car wash owners, in my experience, has been that they're not tech gurus and that they're not going to go out and write code for a software and hiring someone to do that specifically for your own business can be tremendously expensive. So now there are these new vendors and providers that offer services that you can subscribe to or you can that you can use to fill that void and, and meet the consumer's growing need for. They want it fast and they want to speak to someone right away. If they're making a decision about buying and they're already on your website and they're on that page, you want to be able to process that. And in the past, it's been, okay, we'll come into the location. You can go up to the cashier, you can buy a gift card, then you can mail it to your dad for Father's Day or whatever it may be. That is a horribly antiquated way to do that when we're missing so much opportunity to reach customers more quickly. 
That, that is a fantastic example of how technology could be used, right? Really focusing on different tools that take the point of sale away from the lot into the e-commerce space. And you think about that, you know, your example of purchasing a gift card. You know, I have firsthand witnessed the exchange on site of what it's like for a customer talking to a manager and associate, trying to, you know, load a gift card. That's time that could be spent elsewhere in your operations, right? If, if you were to have a, a sound solution electronically to you know, take your customer base to the electronic side of things. That's one really great tangible example. Something else too, which we didn't talk about in this environment, something to think about from an operator perspective, and you, you kind of hit on it, but you know, if you're a membership-based operation where you have a significant base of unlimited plan members, now's a really good time to be a little bit more proactive, have retention-based promotions and incentives for your members to keep them in the door during this rising cost environment. Also making sure that you have your staff trained up Right. Right. So important. Oh, absolutely. If you have, you know, let's call it varying prices and packages for your memberships, make sure your staff is trained in the art of downselling, right? So maybe you have a member that's currently paying $40 a month for the top plan. Do you want to see that member go out the door completely? Or could you train your staff and give them some tools and techniques to downsell them into a lower cost plan to retain that member? So this is no time you're sitting on your hands. You know, be proactive. Give the incentive for your customers to keep washing their vehicles and specifically have some strategies in place to protect the golden goose, which is your unlimited plan base. Right. And with that training, so as we've talked about automations and streamlining and taking away some of the human element, it does give an opportunity to look at your, your staff and perhaps as you're automating certain aspects of your, of your business that you can put more emphasis and look for higher performing humans that you have on there that are customer facing, that do a great job at building those relationships with the customers so that you do keep your unlimited plan members, that you do gain new members, that you don't lose them, and that you still have the human element where it counts the most. So maybe there are areas where it's less important, but having some interaction and the ability to communicate directly makes a huge difference with customer loyalty because absolutely, if it's part of their daily habits and their patterns, but especially if they have some sort of connection and some sort of relationship, then they're much more likely to remain loyal to you over somebody else, regardless of changes in competition or, or other factors. 100%. I think as we talk about the explosion, the boom in technology, and especially in the, in the sense of as it relates to automation and the use of artificial intelligence and big data, I never really foresee this as a, a machine replacing the human element, right? I think it's more of a machine plus human interaction. And, and you hit it right in the head. Using those automations, what it allows you to do is allocate that human work stream, that workflow, not from the mundane task of diagnostics or what have you, but and more value-add activities such as fostering good relationships with your customer base. I think 100%, even you know, aside from this inflationary environment to the benefits you know, at this exact moment, bigger picture, definitely utilize some emerging technology out there because I promise you what you're going to find is you have more fruitful interactions with your customers because your employees will be able to better allocate their time to those higher value-add activities. And you know what this also does is it poises these operations for scalability, because the more that you have the standardization of your workflow and your operations, and you have the training in place for the staff to sell the monthly plans or, or have that training part of it, then you can repeat that because now you have a playbook for success 
and you're limiting the variables that are outside of your control. So right now we're in an environment where labor is very expensive. So if your model is just put a bunch of people on the clock and hope that they do, okay, more bodies is better. Obviously we went through COVID and we experienced that that's not the most fruitful route, but it's really forced us to look at these different areas. And you're right. It doesn't mean that we're trying to say that car washing is completely impersonal and automated, but it's just taking that personal connection opportunities and maximizing them and maximizing technology and automation and therefore replicability and scalability. Absolutely. So we've given some good, hopefully helpful tools for car wash owners of what they can do in light of rising fuel prices, rising interest rates, inflation, the impacts that we're seeing even stateside from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Hopefully these give some, again, some tangible tools for that. I would also like to talk about a little bit from our vantage point at Amplify Car Wash Advisors, what does all of this information mean for the M&A cycle and the M&A activity of the car wash space right now? Yeah. So first and foremost, I mean, this is still an industry in growth mode, right? That, that That's not changing uh, anytime soon. We have, you know, at the end of the day, a very fragmented market and we have growing acceptance by consumers. So there, there's certainly a, a massive gap as it just relates to the supply of car wash inventory. That That's, that's still going to persist. However, in the shorter term, you know, definitely foresee a future where the economics are changing in real time on the buy versus build debate. So that path to growth may may change slightly in this this environment. You know, depending on the market that you're in, you know, cost of new builds are up you know, anywhere, let's call it 10 to 20 percent. So that being said, that path to growth. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's, and they've yeah. already been rising over the last two years. We've seen the cost to build a new site for an express exterior significantly higher than three plus years ago. So on top of that, and I think that this is an interesting point for showing some of the the shifts in strategy for either larger groups or even for multi-site operators that are maybe at three locations and looking at going to four or five or six. In our estimation, we were seeing or predicting a shift more to greenfield development. At some point, you know, it would become cheaper to build than buy. And this is kind of shifting that that outlook to a certain degree because of other factors that are continuing to compound that price to or that cost to build. That could be something to continue to think about. Now, while that's great, there's also the flip side of this that with rising interest rates, that there is an impact on valuations, right? Absolutely. Before we move to valuations, the other thing I want to highlight here is on the buy versus build debate. It isn't just essentially the cost. But also the time. Mention that one of the, the the big you know drivers of this inflationary environment that we're in today is you know challenges in the supply chain, and with those challenges in the supply chain, I feel like almost everything as it relates to materials, you know, equipment, your POS, everything is delayed today. Right. So not only do you have the challenges of cost, but you also have the challenges of time. So you know, certainly I foresee shifting motivations and incentives and the economics changing in the buy versus build debate. Now, your question on valuations, that's a, a really interesting one. How does this environment impact valuations? The most direct impact is going to be by rising interest rates. Now, why is that? Interest rates are a very important component in determining valuations. One of the most widely accepted valuation models is known as a DCF valuation model. And DCF stands for discounted cash flows. And the reason for this, right, if you're buying a car wash business, essentially what you're doing is you're buying a future pattern of cash flows. You're buying future cash flows. Right. So what you have to do is you discount those future cash flows back to a present value. That valuation depends on the discount rate. That discount rate is largely influenced by 
interest rates. And there's an inverse relationship there, right? So if interest rates increase, valuations go down because you're discounting those future cash flows at a greater rate. Conversely, if interest rates are lower, those valuations go up. So that being said, you have inflation. Inflation leads to higher interest rates. Interest rates have an adverse impact on current valuations, specifically as you're looking at more from a discounted cash flow valuation model. So that's one way. That being said, Right. That sounds bad. That sounds bad, but I'm going to put a little bit of a positive on this. Okay. okay? As we talk about interest rates and increase in interest rates, you have to think about what this means along the entirety of the, of, of the yield curve. So the yield curve is just a representation of you know, the relative difference in interest rates along different maturities. So over a span of time. Over a span of time. That's correct. So one thing we've seen lately, as we talk about the yield curve, shorter term rates are more directly influenced by the Federal Reserve. As we look at longer term rates, longer term rates are more influenced by the basic principles of supply and demand, as well as expectations of future economic growth. And what we've seen in the current environment is that interest rates that have shorter maturities have increased by a much larger degree compared to longer term rates. And longer term rates are far more relevant to determining valuations because typically investors hold investors for longer periods of time. So you use longer term rates as, such as you know, 10-year interest rates. Now, if we were to do a quick comparison year over year, if we were to look at changes in two-year treasury yields, two-year treasury yields have increased by approximately 1.8% over the last one year. Okay, so that's a pretty significant increase. Right. Now, if we were to look at 10-year treasury yields, they've only increased by about 0.5%. So not as much of a change. And what that is known as is that's called the flattening of the yield curve, right? Reason for that is you have the Fed increasing short-term rates to aggressively combat inflation. Yet, as we think about the long-term prospects for future economic growth, those rises in interest rates tighten the money supply. We've seen long-term growth expectations moderate quite, quite a bit. So instead of yield curve steepening, that yield curve is flattened. So where I'm going with this is that that 10-year or thereabouts, a little bit more critical in determining valuations, we haven't seen the pop in interest rates in longer duration bond yields that we've seen in the shorter term. So while interest rates are theoretically a negative, I think you know you have to think about what that means along the spectrum of the yield curve, and you know not seeing as much of an impact in valuations in today's market. And again, for these institutional investors and people that are very interested in the car wash space, that flattening of the yield curve matters, and it matters to owners who are considering now is a good time to potentially sell their business. That the impact on valuations is less less significant less significant than it could be or that the kind of that immediate reaction when you hear rising interest rates and inflation it's not just that valuations are going straight down it's that this does have an effect on them but it has less of an effect than may initially be thought of that's correct i, I think um you know from a valuation perspective you know we're personally seeing valuations in the opposite direction we're, we're still seeing very attractive multiples and some of these really um you know attractive deals and i think a lot of it is again because you know the, the change in rates is not uniform across all spectrums of the yield curve we're seeing rights increase more in that short end so it's it's offering some immunity to valuations at the current moment and the other things that you mentioned earlier that the market is still fragmented yep. and that there's still a lot of money that's out there that needs to be deployed somewhere. So there's a lot of dry powder available that these investment institutions need to put that money somewhere and all businesses are affected by inflation or rising interest rates. But the silver lining for the car wash industry is that it's shown through the experience of COVID that it's more resilient than other businesses. So it's still an attractive investment opportunity. 
Absolutely. What we're dealing with here is a a short-term phenomenon at the moment, right? The overarching theme here is you have to be nimble, you have to be strategic in how you navigate this. Uh, But as we look at the long-term dynamics of this industry, none of that is changing, right? There's still a long-term incentive for for people to buy in this industry. Shorter term, one thing we didn't address is the the geopolitical uncertainty and inflation. It's causing concern from some of the larger institutional buyers, right? That's no surprise. They have very robust risk management policies. So if you think about this from a buyer lens, you know, there are certainly buyers out there that are a little bit more hesitant to buy in and anything today for that matter, right. just given some of the uncertainty. Uncertainty is always a bad thing. So I don't, I don't want to sit here and just be completely optimistic because there, there's definitely concern there. But to your point, I mean, as we look at this industry for the long term, it is still very ripe for growth. We have, to your point, fragmented market, growing consumer acceptance. And a lot of those financial and institutional buyers that have been driving a lot of the growth in this space, they still have an abundance of dry powder sitting in the sideline that need to be deployed. And those dynamics will not change. And thankfully, with the consumer acceptance, that's largely tied to the unlimited plans. And that's what's also very attractive is that reoccurring revenue stream of those continue to grow. And that's the real opportunity as well for maintaining and protecting those margins, amongst the other things that we talked about. 100%. That's a key component of the valuations too, right? As, as you think about what drives valuations, I talked about interest rates and you know that's largely because that influences the cost of capital of the company. You know, Another key determining factor in valuations would be the stability in cash flows. The more stable the cash flows, the lower risk of the company and the lower your cost of capital is because it shrinks that risk premium. Car washing and the emergence of limited plans offers tremendous stability in cash flows. And that's why we've seen some of the valuations and the expansion multiples in this space, because it offers such an attractive, stable cash flow generation business. Thank you for sharing these aspects today. I wanted to leave our listeners with just kind of the overarching theme of what can they do and what we need to be aware of, but also that's not all bad. Yes. To no surprise, a lot of risk in today's environment between you know everything getting more expensive, geopolitical uncertainty, tensions between the Russia and Ukraine. That being said, complacency is not your best bet right now. Um, you know, this is time to look hard at your business and implement some strategic measures to protect yourself in a rising cost environment. Uh, so from an operator perspective, the good news is industry dynamics still present a very attractive opportunity. There are a number of solutions to your disposal to be able to successfully navigate the current environment. As it relates to the M&A side of the business, definitely some things to consider here, but we still see you know, robust pipeline of activity for the long-term because again, while we're de- dealing with short-term dynamics, the longer-term characteristics of this industry present an abundance of opportunities for buyers. So uh, we do not see that changing anytime soon. Another positive here, so something we didn't get a chance to talk about, but something else to consider here too, as we talk about wage inflation. Wage inflation has, it's different along different rungs of the income spectrum. So what I mean by that is, on average, across the entirety of our country, the average employee has seen about a 5% increase in their wages. Now, that's important because that helps to soften the blow of 8% inflation, right? That results in a 3% reduction in real wages as opposed, as opposed to that 8% blow. Right. That's a huge uh, difference. <laughs> huge difference. But when you even take finer cuts of this, you know, there, there are certainly some reasons to find, find optimism here. So if you were to look at the lowest one-third income generators in the country, they spend approximately 15% of their income on energy and fuel, okay? Now, if you're to look at that same segment, that group has by and large been the biggest beneficiary of wage inflation. On average, their wages have increased by approximately 8%. So you actually see slightly positive increases in real wages for that demographic. 
And I think, you know, as we talk about the impact of inflation on the consumer, one reason why markets and you know, specifically car washing have been resilient over the past years, because we take finer cuts of who is actually impacted here. That demographic of income producers uh, that spend the most on gasoline have actually been the biggest beneficiary of wage inflation and wage increases here. So that's been a, a little bit of an offsetting effect there from a consumer standpoint. And, and that's important because that means that their discretionary income, while they're spending more on fuel because of the rising wages, that they do still have even a little bit more discretionary income. That's correct. On a real wage basis, their real wages are actually positive over the last year because they've actually had they've seen some greater inflation. A lot of it's just due to you know rising you know minimum wages across the country. I mean, we, we've seen that as a as a big theme, and we're all acutely familiar with that, with that in the car washing space here. I don't believe any of us have seen wages go in the opposite direction. If anything, it's it's probably uniformly expensive for most of us. But nonetheless, that has been a positive in the grand scheme of things because that consumer who spends more of their income on fuel has been able to absorb some of that impact because their wages are up. To your point there that those rising wage prices that operators feel on what the you know the amount that they're spending on labor it's not just that the car wash labor wage has risen is that all of that sector has risen so more people have more disposable income or it, or at least it's offset so while it is it is difficult for an owner to absorb those higher wages there are changes in strategies that we talked about of how you could offset that and the bright side of that is that there's still more money out there for consumers to come and use the car wash Thank you, Chris, for joining us today and being our second guest on Car Wash M&A, the podcast. We really enjoyed having you on. And as a side note, I enjoy working with you as a teammate. So Likewise, Lenise. Thanks for sharing. Be sure to listen to Car Wash M&A, the podcast. The new episodes release the last Thursday of every month. You can find us on your favorite podcast app or wherever you choose to listen to us or on our website at amplifywash.com backslash podcast. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Car Wash M&A, the podcast with your host, Lenise Barnett. Like what you hear? Subscribe to our podcast feed and leave us a review or follow us on social media at Amplify Car Wash Advisors. Want more M&A information? Visit our website at amplifywash.com and listen for new episodes on the last Thursday of each month.